Hello and welcome to the Vinyl Countdown, the podcast where I, Jeremy Levine, break down my favorite vinyl releases from cover to cover and everything in between. On this week's episode, sorry it's a little bit late. I had uh, I started work again this past week after the second hurricane that hit our area and uh, between working nights and trying to find the time to record and do everything else and write and it's just been a uh, clusterfuck as you can probably all imagine but i'm back here again again late but better late than never right so this week i'm going to be discussing one of my favorite horror films from the past uh probably five ten years i mean it's it's kind of in a class of its own uh 2017's get out it um i mean there's not a lot for me to say about it i guess it hasn't already kind of been said but it's just at the time it was released, I mean, it's still the same now, unfortunately, but the, the political climate, the uh, police brutality against uh, people of color, all, all that sort of thing. I mean, there, there's a lot of allusions to things like that and just the black experience, I guess, in that movie. And it, it just, it, it's, it's incredible. All the things he, he, he slipped in here and there. If you're really looking out for it, it's just, it's great. But before we get into the movie, uh, let's get on down to Variant Corner. So, in 2018, uh, Waxwork Records, who uh, at some point they will get their own episode because they're just incredible, uh, they released two different variants. One was a subscriber-only variant, which they call the Teacup variant. It is, uh, it's, a, it's two LP set, but it's one disc is light uh, blue and light blue marble, and the other is a porcelain white. And the other one, which is like the public... Uh, I guess the just the retail version is what they call the Garden Party Guardian. Ooh, wow, Garden Party variant. That's a tough one to say. Um, it's green and light green marble, and uh, that's the one that I have, of course. And it's really nice. Uh, it sounds great. The um, the packaging is really awesome. There is a written like a uh, I guess a note from Jordan Peele about the score and about how him and the composer of the score uh, came to kind of meet and, um, you know, uh, came up with the concept or whatever and and what he was was looking for and uh, as far as the tone of the record and everything else. So uh, I'm trying to look here. Michael Abels, sorry, I couldn't think of his name. I knew it was Michael something, but uh, Michael Abels. And, you know, there's a... Like I said, a big write-up about that, and it's pretty neat. But um, so both of these variants can be found on Discogs, uh, but be careful because uh, it's anywhere from $25 to $90 for the Garden Party variant, but then the Tea Party variant isn't much more. It's like it's actually a little cheaper on the higher end. It's like between $28 and $85, but uh, I really love them both, and I can't really pick a favorite, so I was like, man, I'm just going to buy the Tea Party variant, you know? And I saw one for like twenty, the twenty eight dollar one, and I was like, man, that's really cheap for such a um, an exclusive record, I guess. But this person also, it was sealed, and he was like, yeah, I don't know, don't actually know the color. And when I asked, and I guess he checked it, turned out it was the Garden Party variant. So uh, if you're gonna buy the Tea Party one, uh, I know, I know, you know, you'd rather have it sealed and everything, but 
it might be good to look for one that has been open just to verify color because I, I, I know I, I would have. It's happened before. I, I hate buying things and then getting them, and it's not what I wanted. Um, specifically, thinking of the Third Eye Blind uh, self-titled, which is one of my one of my other grails now that I have the draft draft record that I've been wanting forever. I, I want that one. There's a yellow pressing that is just amazing looking. And I thought I got it for a good price <laughs> when I got it in. It was just the, the standard black variant. Uh, but, you know, very disappointing. But anyway, so this this soundtrack, it's, um, you heard in the intro, like these sharp violins. It's like a real stilted, kind of a natural feel to the score, I guess. Um, something that I noticed that he did in the movie Us as well. Um, that just seems to be a thing that's kind of, I, I, don't, I don't know that he necessarily has, has uh, invented that particular creepy whatever the hell the way the score sounds but get out definitely doesn't sound like any other horror films that i'd seen up to that point you know it seems like you now you kind of get that um the same feel or at least uh the attempted feel of that in newer horror movies so i wonder this kind of you kind of see the influence and the ripples it made throughout the industry but um Speaking of Jordan Peele, so when I found out he was making a horror movie, and I, I don't know, I'm, I may not be alone here, but I was more dismissive than I should have been, because um, you know he, he's best known for Key and Peele and Mad TV and uh, Keanu had come out, which was a really good movie, but it wasn't a horror movie, you know. So for me, I was like, man, I don't, I don't know, I don't, I just can't see him directing horror, which is really fucking stupid because. People like things that just because they're known for a comedy or something doesn't mean that they only have to ever do comedy. You know, and that's that's something I struggle with. Like, <laughs> uh, I tend to look at people like artists, for example, and uh, I guess like Frank Turner comes to mind. You know, he's uh, become a fairly successful uh, solo like folk singer, but he came from like a punk slash hardcore punk background. And at first it's like, oh man, it's so weird that he's doing that kind of music now. But it's like, people can like other types of music. <laughs> like, you know, just like Jordan Peele, uh, when, when you read interviews with him, he's a huge horror fan. He just, you know, he's a comedian and he got into comedy and everything else. But it doesn't mean you can't like horror or make horror and make it good. You know, so it's, that's just dumb. That That's one of my own, that's one of my weird things I kind of hold on to that really, it's kind of stupid. But uh, so this movie, you know, it's... <laughs> It's one of those things, I guess I'll get into it now just to get it out of the way, but uh, I'll just go ahead and say it, man. Some uh, white people were just either upset about it or just didn't quite get it. Um, I, there was a guy on Twitter, he actually blocked, <laughs> he blocked me because I've, I just questioned his his take on the movie, but you know, you see, he asked the question, what is the most um, overrated horror movie or something like that of whatever year, and uh, you know, he said get out and he was saying how it was, you know, really ham fisted and they really shoving in your face about the racism and like he had all these these criticisms that come from someone who just absolutely did not get it. You know, and it's like, you know, that's one thing. If there are plenty of things that I people like and they love it and I try my best to be objective and say, look, if you like it, great. It's just maybe not for me. In this regard, I feel like his his review was one of those things where it's like, I get it, you don't like it, but you're also completely missing the point. And of course you would, because you maybe just don't have the life experience that someone, uh, that you would need, I guess, to really grasp 
some of the more subtle elements of the movie. You know, it's just, I don't know. It was just funny. I, I just mentioned, I was like, I asked the question about it or something. And before I know it, he made some snarky comment and, <laughs> and blocked me. And it's like, well, I mean, you know, sorry, your shitty take on this movie was just, um, I mean, I guess it's your opinion, but it's still like, again, you just completely missed the point of what the director was trying to say. But whatever. Point is, great movie. Um, when it came out, so it grossed $176 million in the U.S. and Canada and another $79.4 million uh, across uh, other territories or whatever. So worldwide, gross was $255 million against a production budget of $4.5 million. Uh, it, uh, it says that it, the net profit of the film was $124.8 million. So... Uh, factoring in all expenses and revenues, it made it the tenth most profitable release of 2017. Uh, so, it's, also here it's funny. It says it was released uh, February 24th of 2017, and it, it said I guess released alongside a movie called Collide and Rock Dog, which I've never heard of either one of those. Um, it overperformed in its first uh, weekend up and everything, and it did really well. And then in the second weekend, it finished second in the box office behind another incredible movie, Logan. Um, so it says here that there's usually a about a 60% drop in revenue for horror films between their first and second weekends. This movie only dropped 15.4%, so that was well above average. Uh, then the third weekend, it, it still only dropped 25%. And uh, this time it finished third at the box office behind Logan and another great fucking movie kong skull island um so then in march 2017 three weeks after release is when it crossed the 100 million dollar mark domestically making jordan peele the first black writer director to do so with his debut movie then in april of 2017 it then also became the highest grossing film domestically directed by a black filmmaker beating out f gary gray straight out of compton uh but just uh two weeks later uh, f gary gray <laughs> He uh, reclaimed the record, or yeah, reclaimed the record with um, The Fate of the Furious. That grossed like $173 million, um, which I think ended up going on to make like, um, did it make a billion dollars? It was something like that. It was some insane fucking amount uh, that just, it's Fast and Furious movies, man. They are just, uh, they're not great anymore. Like, I think this is actually the one that I kind of checked out on um but it, it ended up grossing yeah 226 million dollars in the u.s and canada and another one billion dollars in other territories worldwide for a total of 1.236 billion dollars so that's pretty fucking crazy but the point is like i i saw that movie and it was like I even have the video so saved on my phone. The Rock does some weird like action slide under a railing into a wall, then then falls like ten feet in action rolls, and it's like what the fuck? Like they they're they're essentially super superheroes at that point in in the franchise, and it's just it's out of control. But anyway, back to this movie. Um, it is domestically the highest grossing debut film based on an original screenplay in Hollywood history, beating out the completely overrated Don't At Me Blair Witch Project from 1999. Um, I'm sorry, that movie fucking sucks. I don't know. You can fucking fight me on Twitter if you want to talk about it. But 
uh, vinyl vinyl podcast five on Twitter if you like to discuss the merits of the Blair Witch Project. But I think it's um, terrible. I saw it when it came out and I just didn't get it. I saw it years later because I was like maybe I was like fifteen or sixteen when it came out. I was like maybe I just didn't uh, quote unquote get it. And then I watched it again as an adult and I was like nope, it's fucking stupid. So uh, anyway, uh, so let's see. Uh, it's just, yeah, it, it was an, an extremely, uh, successful release and damn well should have been right. Uh, so Daniel Kaluuya at, uh, he, he played the lead role of Chris. Uh, he got nominated for, uh, his first Academy Award, uh, BAFTA Award, Golden Globe, SAG nomination. Um, the review, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it holds a 98%, which, you know, Rotten Tomatoes take it with a grain of salt, but, they got it right this time. I mean, it's it's fucking great. Um, it it actually held a hundred percent approval rating after the first one hundred and thirty nine reviews. Uh, it was also the highest weighted rated wide release of twenty seventeen on the site. Uh, just I kind of had some stuff written here. Basically, just saying what we already know. It, it far and wide for the most part got positive reviews. You know, uh, but here's something I found kind of interesting and maybe sad but um this says that it said that it uh it divided oscar voters with uh, many older members of the academy uh uh motion picture arts and sciences dim- dismissing it or just choosing not to even watch it uh, according to vulture uh new voting members said they ran into quote interference from more sender- senior members when it came to evaluating the film at best picture um I had multiple conversations with longtime Academy members who were like, that was not an Oscar film, according to a new voter. Uh, honestly, a few of them had not even seen it, and they were saying it, uh, so dispelling that kind of thing has been super important. Uh, one anonymous Oscar voter told The Hollywood Reporter that they felt alienated by the Oscar campaign. This says, quote, instead of focusing on the fact that this was an entertaining little horror movie that made quite a bit of money, they started trying to suggest it had deeper meaning than it than it does and as far as i'm concerned they played the race card and that really turned me off in fact at one of the luncheons the lead actor who is not from the united states was giving us a lecture on racism in america and how black lives matter and i thought what does this have to do with get out they're trying to make me think that if i don't vote for this movie i'm a racist i was really offended that oh boy that statement i read that and was like you gotta be fucking kidding me but that is some of the sentiment that I got from just seeing random people online talking about it and how the movie, you know, I guess plays the quote unquote race card. It's like, it's a movie from a black writer and director about a black person's experience in America. And it's kind of a microcosm of the American experience, the black experience in America. So yeah, that's 100%. It's deeper than what on the surface what it's about is not just some little horror movie or whatever there's a lot more under the surface and there's a reason why it's so goddamn scary you know for me just to you know uh spoilers i guess you know it's gonna be spoilers but the scariest part of the movie for me was the very end when the cops show up you know and i mean that's 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 i think that says something about the state <laughs> the state of policing and everything else in america then and now and, and as long as i've been a fucking live but it's it's one of those things like he goes through this whole gauntlet of getting of just I'm not gonna I'm gonna I'll get into it later but you know basically just getting out of the house when he finally escapes and everything's done 
and the cops pull up and it's like, motherfucker, are you kidding me? Like in my head, I was thinking like he's going to get shot by the police or something. Like that's how the movie's going to end. And it's just going to be super depressing. <laughs> like, um, but he ends up, it ends up being a friend of his and then things work out. But there is an alternate ending, I think, where he, um, he, he, it's on the, it's on the DVD. I think they, he says that, uh, it is the regular cops. He gets caught, he goes to jail and in jail, he's like, Hey, you know, the Armitage family, they're dead and this and that it's all over with, but it's really not because it's just killing or just stopping one family that's doing this. Isn't going to stop at all. You know what I mean? Like it's, that's not how racism or systemic racism works like there's a lot more moving parts at play you can't just take out one little section of it and fix everything you know so that's that's fucking super depressing too but i think there was another one too i don't know that it was filmed but i think maybe it was it was talked about or or just was in in an idea was that uh when he goes it is his friend uh i think reg is the name he shows up and he's like oh hey let's go whatever and then Chris turns to him and says, like, oh, I'm already home or something like that, just suggesting that, that the the procedure had uh, they had done the procedure on to turn him into, I know, a white person. But I'll get into that. So speaking of all that, let's get into the movie, right? So it opens with uh, Lakeith Stanfield uh, walking around the neighborhood. I forget his name in the movie, but he's lost and everything. And um, So at some point in the movie, they make it a point for Chris to ask Rose... Uh, Alison Williams character right if she has dated any black people or I think she's like hey we're going to meet my parents this weekend you know this and that and he's like hey do they know that I'm black you know and then it comes out that he's her first black boyfriend but in reality of course that turns out to not be true and what someone said there's no confirmation of this but I mean it makes sense that it would be is that Lakeith Stanfield's character is on the phone with Rose while he's walking around. And that's how they, uh, basically he's telling her, Oh, I'm on this street, this street, I'm trying to find this place. And then that's how the car that does that pulls up or whatever. Uh, that's her brother that knocks him out or whatever and takes him back to, you know, to the, to the, the estate. That's how they find him. Right. So, so anyway, so there's a car, it shows like it drives by him and everything. It's, it's an older car, like a sports car or whatever. And, uh, it's just kind of like, it, it's, it's spooky because you see the car and then you see him and then the car pulls up on the side of him and is like slowly creeping up behind him. And he's like, nah, fuck that. He's like, nah, he's like, man, I see how they do people out here. I'm not, like, not, not me, not tonight. You know? <laughs> and he starts walking off and the camera then, uh, it follows him in such a way where the, the car isn't in the shot anymore. But then when it does come in frame, you see that it stopped and the doors open and it's just like, oh shit. And then all of a sudden, dude jumps out of the shadows and, like, strangles him or, like, you know, chokes him out and shit. And it's just a real, it's a spooky scene. But uh, one important detail of that car is that it's playing, there's 30s music playing in the vehicle, which uh, I had it for different reasons, I think, for being important. Uh, one, I think it's because he, uh, you know, the, the the whole thing is these these people are swapping bodies and souls i guess with younger black people the older white people right so this older music playing kind of isn't you know kind of makes you think of you know older people an older generation right so that kind of it, it sort of works into that but then also um i'd seen somewhere that it's a i think it's run rabbit run or something like that's the name of the song 
and Jordan Peele has a thing with rabbits and like he always kind of works them into the movie into his movie somehow or another so that's another uh detail I guess but so so anyway so Chris you know cuts to Chris and, and Rose they're hanging out and everything and uh he again doesn't really want to go but he goes anyway right and um so they're heading up there to the uh to the estate and they hit a deer and he's understandably freaked out. This is one little indication that Rose isn't quite who she says she is or she's not. Uh, you know, she's putting on this like real um, just cute whatever girlfriend vibe. And uh, she has no reaction at all to the deer being hit and killed. She's kind of just just completely stone faced. Right. Uh, also, um, real quick, going back to the beginning, I forgot. So they're playing. um there's two things with the songs. One, they are playing uh, uh, Childish Gambino's, um, what's that song called? Uh, Redbone, right? And in the chorus of that song, it's saying, uh, you know, now stay woke, you know, uh, they're creeping, whatever, you know, they go find you while you're sleeping, so stay woke. It's kind of like a, to me, like kind of a, it plays into the, the, the concept of the movie about being aware of what's going on and trying to get the fuck out. But also the opening song from the score is singing in Swahili, and it, when translated to English, it very plainly says, "Brother, listen to the ancestors run," which again sets the tone for the film and really kind of um, I mean, it tells you right then and there. If you speak Swahili, you can kind of get that and say, "Oh shit!" Right? But um, so anyway, they, so they hit the, they hit the deer. Cop comes. And, you know, there's there's a little scene where it seems like she's real, like, oh, you know, you don't need his ID because the cop asked for his ID. And he's like, oh, yeah, I got my ID, whatever, that's fine. And Rose is like, you don't need to see his ID. What do you need to see his ID for? And, like, really grills the cop and makes it this big thing. And you think upon first viewing that, oh, she's doing that because you know, she's standing up for him, right? Because there's so many times that those types of confrontations have led to black men getting killed you know when they don't legally have to show your id for whatever it is and then it, it escalates beyond where it should have escalated to and something happens right so you think oh she's she's like taking up for him she's taking the brunt of that instead of him saying you don't need to see my id with her doing it the cop might listen more and he does he doesn't then that he's like okay fine whatever you know but what she's really doing is she's eliminating any paper trail any any um she's trying to eliminate any any trace of chris being there because the cop has his id or knows who he is puts him in the system whatever and then later he goes missing he can say oh well he was with uh rose armitage they were going upstate they were doing going here you're here whatever they could figure things out so this way is a way to keep him under the radar so to speak to where she doesn't have like if, if he does when he does go missing or if the plan would work then it'd be really hard to track him down and try to save him, right? Or figure out what even happened. So that's that's another little detail that they slip in that you don't realize until like a second uh, viewing maybe once you know the type of person Rose is, it's like, oh, shit. She, like, it's, yeah. So anyway, so they, they get done with that. Um, they head to the, the house or whatever, and the dad is like one of these kind of cringy old, white people like you know i voted for obama and i would have voted for him a third term and oh man you know i'm kind of like 
almost on the line of like, um, like, oh man, you know, I can't be racist. I have so many black friends, that sort of thing, right? And um, so, but but then you know, so Chris he he's noticing things about the housekeeper Georgina and the uh, the groundskeeper Walter. Uh, so at some point, you know, he he's unable to sleep right he gets up and uh he goes out to try to uh i think go smoke or something like that and he sees the groundskeeper running full fucking speed at him it's a real kind of like what the fuck is going on scene and but then he like he runs full speed at me he, he turns off real quick and just like runs off into the dark and it's like okay what the hell is that you know uh so he comes back inside and the mom uh missy is sitting there and she's a hypnotherapist. That's her whole thing. Right. And he sits down and they, they have this conversation. This scene is, is so great because, you know, she, she just, I don't know, like all, it's like he's sitting down and she's talking to him and he's like, he's kind of like real hesitant to really say anything. And as she's going on, she eventually kind of just ropes him into this, this, therapy session i guess and and um you know she has her teacup and she kind of scrapes it around the spoon around the, the edge of the 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 cup that's the trigger to get him to kind of get him into this this uh trance or whatever and the acting here by by by, by uh, daniel kalu it, it's impeccable like i i love this scene so much because as she's talking you can see he doesn't want to answer and he's really really trying hard not to um it's like you get the the feeling like he, he against his will he's answering these questions and, and and volunteering this information but he really doesn't want to because he's kind of like nervous chuckling when you see his eyes start to kind of well up like he's like he's got like a tear or two about to start coming out and it's just so many emotions going on he's balancing it all at once on his on his face and just the way his voice like Everything he's doing in that scene is incredible well, from an acting perspective, you know. And uh, so in, in the trance, you know, he, he eventually talks about his mom and how she died and hit and run and how he uh, there's a lot of guilt over that. And then, oh, man, the, the, the sunken place part. First time I saw that, it was just like, oh, it's just like a fucking nightmare, man. You know, so she's doing the thing and like she's she's keeping him in, like controlled and. You see him, he's like getting a little more uh, panicked. You can you can kind of hear in his voice, but he can't move. And he, he even says the thing before, he's like, he's like, okay, I can't move. Why, why, why can't I move? You know, and it's just, uh, but then when she, she like clinks the spoon and he just falls and you see him, it's like in this big black void as he's falling, the, where he's sitting in the chair in the room, it's like kind of like a fisheye thing. It's getting further and further and further away. So that's the sunken place, right? And uh, so Peel described conceptualizing the sunken place as uh, he said, "I always had this concept of a place that you're falling toward the the place that you're falling toward when you're going to sleep, and you get that falling sensation, and you catch yourself. And if you didn't catch yourself, where would you end up? I had this hellish image, and I thought of this idea of what if uh, what if you were in a place and you could look through your own eyes as as if they were literal windows or a screen and see that your body was see what your body was seeing, but feel like a prisoner in your own mind. Uh, the chamber of your mind. He, he explained, uh, the moment I thought of that, 
it immediately occurred to me the theme of abduction and connection to the prison industrial complex that this movie was sort of presenting a metaphor, uh, sort of presenting a metaphor for. It was a very emotional discovery. I remember having so much fun writing it, but at that moment when I figured out this weird, esoteric, but also an emotionally brutal form of suffering to put the character through, I literally cried writing the scene. Uh, the next morning... Okay, so this is that's the end of the thing, right? So that's straight from Jordan Peele himself, and it's again, it's a, it's an incredible scene. But, um, so then, so the next morning he wakes up and kind of just assumes it's all a dream, um, until Walter, the the groundskeeper, acknowledges their brief encounter last night. Uh, and Georgina, at some point, uh, unplugs his phone, quote, accidentally, draining his battery. And uh, so they, they kind of, little things like that start to happen, right? Uh, they mention a party earlier in the movie, and here is the day it happens. It is a uh, huge get-together where a bunch of people, um, it's not just, it's mostly white, but there is an Asian person, too, in the crowd. Um, a lot of these people, they express admiration for Chris and his physique, and for other black figures, such as like Tiger Woods and stuff like that, um, there's a blind art dealer that takes a particular interest in Chris and his photography skills. Uh, Chris meets another black man, Logan King, who behaves strangely and is married to a much older white woman. Chris calls his um, friend, uh, TSA, TSA officer Rod Williams. I said Reg earlier, sorry, it's Rod, about the strange behavior. Uh, Chris tries to photograph Logan inconspicuously. But when his flash goes off, Logan becomes hysterical and shouts at Chris to um, get out, right? I didn't mean to press that button. Um, <laughs> the others restrain him, and Dean claims that Logan had an epileptic seizure. So away from the party, Chris convinces Rose that they should leave. Uh, meanwhile, Dean is holding an auction. Dean is uh, Rose's dad, uh, which they have. Uh, it's like on these little bingo cards or whatever. And actually, one of those cars is is included in the uh, the record, the package, or whatever. So it's pretty cool. But um, so they're they're doing this auction, like basically they're auctioning off Chris, and the blind guy wins the auction to take Chris's body over, right? Uh, but in the meantime, uh, Chris sends Rod a picture of Logan as a uh, Andre Hayworth, a missing man. So Rod's like, oh, shit, you know, I know him. That's so-and-so, you know, let me go to the police, whatever. No, I believes him. So Chris is trying to leave, and in the crawl space of um, the room, he finds photos of Rose in prior relationships with other black people, including Walter and Georgina, contradicting her, tra- contradicting her claim, of course, that Chris was her first black boyfriend. He then tries to leave the house, and uh, Rose blocks him, and the family blocks him. But here's, like, he keeps saying, this is another part, man, it's just like, He's so, it's it's scary because it's such a helpless feeling. He's trying to leave, and he's like, Rose, hey, um, hey, get the keys, get the keys, Rose. We got to leave. You know, we got to leave. You know, he keeps kind of saying that and getting more and more frustrated, you know, with her. And uh, all of a sudden, she just, like, just flips and She's looking for the keys. She's like frantic. She's like, I don't know where they are, you know, and all this kind of shit. And then all of a sudden, she just she's she just looks up, complete straight face, and goes, "You know, I can't give you the keys, right?" And it's just like, 
fuck like that first time viewing that scene um you know first time viewing the movie and, and getting to that part was like you motherfucker <laughs> like i i just i missed all the stuff leading up to it there, there were a couple of things here and there that i noticed like um at the party when one of the people was talking to chris and he's like really like you know laying it on thick and just like loving um just asking all these weird questions about him rose looks at them like like come on like chill out you know you're being too weird but it wasn't for chris's sake it was more for her sake i guess like they didn't like trying to make sure i guess that they didn't like give away what was going on or something i don't know you can tell her face there like every so often she slips up and she has a weird reaction to something when you go back and watch it again you know but um so chris attacks jeremy the brother and then missy uh mom uses her trigger that she implanted during his hypnosis and knocks him out uh he wakes up strapped to a chair in the basement uh in a video it shows that rose's grandfather roman uh, transplants brains into other other people's bodies, granting them preferred physical characteristics and a twisted form of immortality. Uh, Hudson tells Chris the host's consciousness remains in the sunken place, conscious but powerless. That's fucking scary. Uh, although the Armitage, Armitage's um, target mainly black people, Hudson reveals he wants Chris's body only for sight and his photography skills. Uh, Missy performs hypnosis, seemingly knocking Chris out. So when uh, Jeremy comes to fetch Chris for the surgery, uh, Chris bludgeons, bludgeons him unconscious, having blocked the hypnosis by plugging his ears with cotton, uh, the stuffing that he pulled from the chair, which that's another, um, like that, that was another subtle nod to like, you know, picking cotton and other things like that, that were uh, slaves did that, you know, how my dad was a picked cotton as a sharecropper, you know, in the early fifties and everything, you know, but uh I guess it's kind of subverting that and using the idea of cotton and the, the inherent oppressive feelings behind that to use that to then save himself from these white people. It's kind of cool. Um, he impales Dean, the dad, with uh, antlers from a deer mount, which is pretty awesome. Uh, and as he goes down, he knocks over a candle and sets fire to the house uh, or to the operating room with uh, this Hudson guy inside. So he he gets killed. Uh, Chris kills Missy, but is attacked by Jeremy as he heads towards the door. Uh, he overpowers him and uh, ends up killing him before getting in his car and leaving. But then he hits Georgina. Now, this part, he remembers his mother's death. And he, he I guess, has that guilt or whatever. So he goes and picks her up, gets her in the car. But, of course, uh, Rose's grandmother, Marianne, is uh, who Georgina actually is. Right? So then she attacks him and everything in the car. They struggle, crash the car. She's dead. Um, Rose then comes up with Walter, who is possessed again by Roman, the grandfather. Uh, and here you think it's kind of hopeless, things are fucked up. But then Chris uses the flash on his phone to neutralize Roman, allowing Walter to regain control of his body for long enough to shoot Rose in the stomach with a shotgun, and then he shoots himself. Uh, you know, so then Chris she's not dead yet and he goes over and starts to strangle her but then again he stops when the when the police cruiser pulls up and it's just like again scariest part of the fucking movie because it's just like man you gotta be kidding me he went through all that killed all these people exposed to all this shit and now the cops are gonna you know arrest him or shoot him or something but again ends up being rod and they leave and uh rose uh, bleeds out on the road so good for her but um 
so like I said earlier, you know, uh, they, um, the, 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 there was an alternate ending or whatever that where he, he got caught and went to jail and that kind of thing. Uh, he says that, um, cause in jail, he, he gives all this information about the Armitage family and, uh, you know, Chris insists that he stopped them and everything's fine. But Rod is like, no, you know, Hey, we need more information. We got to f- keep fighting him and that kind of thing. And Peel intended this to, uh, the ending to reflect the realities of racism, but, by the time production had begun, uh, several high-profile police shootings of black people uh, had made the discussion, in Peel's word, uh, more woke. And after engaging in reception at test screenings, he decided the film needed a happy ending, but felt the moment uh, when the audience believes Chris is about to be arrested would preserve the intended reaction. Um, and again, there's another ending where uh, there was considered where Rod breaks into the estate, finds Chris and calls his name, but Chris responds, I assure you, I don't know who you're talking about. So great. <sighs> so it ends that way. And again, it's a absolutely incredible movie. Um, so Michael Abel's, like I said earlier, composed a score, uh, which Peel wanted to have quote, distinctly black voices and black musical references. Uh, this proved to be a challenge as Peel found that American African American music typically, uh, has what he termed, at the very least, a glimmer of hope to it. Uh, at the same time, Peel also wanted to avoid having a voodoo motif. Uh, the final score features Swahili voices as well as well as a blues influence. Uh, ooh, boy. Sikiliza? Hwahinja is a Swahili phrase that translates to listen to your ancestors, which indicates to the listener something bad is coming to run. Again, that was what they said in the beginning. The whole idea of the movie is to get out. You know, that's what we're screaming at the character on screen, you know. Uh, so, like I, like I said earlier, again, it was released in 2018 for the first time on vinyl. So, um, you know, The Guardian wrote uh, regarding the themes of the movie that the villains here aren't southern rednecks or neo-Nazi skinheads or the so, uh, I'm not say so-called alt-right, the alt-right, those motherfuckers. Uh, they're middle-class white liberals, the kind of people who read, you know, this website, the kind of people who shop at Trader Joe's or donate to the ACLU and would have voted for Obama a third time if they could, like they say in the movie. Uh, The thing Get Out does so well, and the thing that will uh, rankle with some viewers is to show how, however unintentional, these same people can make life so hard and uncomfortable for black people. It exposes the liberal ignorance and hubris that has been allowed to fester. Uh, It's an attitude and arrogance, which in the film leads to a horrific final solution, but in reality leads to a complacency that is just as dangerous. Uh, Peel said about the film, you know, the real thing at hand here is slavery. You know, some dark shit. Uh, Peel stated that the, direct, that the character of Hudson, who is the farthest from racist due to his blindness, still plays a part in the system of racism. And the way that it manifests in the movie is, uh, yeah, a guy who believes that the eye of his of this better artist, this black artist, is what's separating him from being a success or failure, which also, to me, is a commentary on a sentiment I was hearing a lot during the Obama era, the, the Obama era, this whole mythology of a purported advantage of being black in this culture. Uh, the film also depicts the lack of attention on missing black Americans compared to missing white females. Uh, Slate's Damon Young stated the film's premise was depressingly plausible. Only about although thirteen, although black people only comprise thirteen percent of America's population, they are thirty-four percent of America's missing. A reality that exists as the 
result of a melange of racial and socioeconomic factors rendering black lives demonstratively less valuable than the lives of our white counterparts. Uh, Peel wrote Rose as a subversion of the white savior trope, in particular of films where most white characters are evil, but one is good, right? Uh, Peel and William Williams stated that Rose behaved like a teenager as her emotional development was delayed. Uh, Williams believed that Rose was not a victim of indoctrination, hypnotism, or Stockholm syndrome, but just simply evil. You know, after her intentions are revealed, her previous soft and welcoming appearance, like I said before, uh, becomes a vision of cold, meticulous elitism with hunting uh, Jodhpur's, I don't know what that is, or Jodhpur's, uh, a white dress shirt and a sleek ponytail. She uh, she hangs photographs of her ex-partners on, on the wall like hunting trophies. And um, it's it's not it's kind of funny. There's a little a quick little scene of um, uh, um, Keegan-Michael Key when she's looking up, like uh, trying to find like a new black boyfriend, I guess. Uh, she looks up college football prospects and he's one of the guys, <laughs> one of the guys on the picture or whatever. Uh, so that's kind of fun, but, um, yeah, I guess that that's it, man. I don't know. It, it, it's one of those movies. If you haven't somehow haven't seen it yet, I wholly just thousand percent recommend it. Right. Um, you know, I, I could go on for fucking 75 years, uh, the Easter eggs and, and what the movie means and, or what it could mean to me or you, or whoever, you know what I mean? Like, there's a ton. There's a ton hidden there, right? So, uh, I would say to maybe uh, just look it up, Google it. There's tons of videos about it. There's tons of articles about it, and uh, it, it's 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 very um, it, it's pretty awesome. I will say, like some of the stuff that uh, they snuck in or whatever. Um, one of the cool ones I noticed, I didn't notice I, upon my second or third view, whichever it was that I watched just recently here in, uh, when the dad remarks, uh, we hired Georgina and Walter to help care for my parents when they died, I couldn't bear to let them go. Uh, you know, he, he he's again, he, he's saying that in that, not that he couldn't bear to let Georgina and Walter, he couldn't fire them because the parents were gone. He couldn't let the parents go. So that's, the parents are now Georgina and Walter, right? It's a real quick kind of almost like a throwaway line in a way, but it is um, definitely one of those things that's like, oh shit, you know? Another thing, uh, the lobotomy scars are hidden on these characters. Like Georgina's always fixing her wig. Uh, Walter always has a hat on. Uh, Logan, uh, Keith Stanfield's character, always has a hat on as well. Uh, so there's that. Um, another one real quick that I, I, I never noticed either is the use of the color red. Everybody at the party is wearing some form of red. Chris is wearing blue. It's kind of a an us versus them sort of thing. But if you notice, uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character has a blue rim on his hat. But then when he snaps out of it for a minute and then they kind of rein him back in, the wife gives him a red handkerchief. So it's like a real subtle, like, ooh, that's pretty cool. Um, but... Anyway, so I, I would say, uh, last thing about it, you know, the um, uh, the cell phones, right? The cell phones being the thing that can snap them, apparently that can snap them out of it. Uh, it was kind of one of those things where uh, I think Jordan Peele made it to where 
the cell phone has been such a thing. Um, I guess the cell phone footage and other things have been so vital and key in catching, you know, cops and, and police brutality and all these other things that maybe the cell phone is seen as a way to, um, you know, as a, I guess a tool to, to, to help fight all injustice and everything like that. And so the fact that it is kind of a, it's a weapon almost in this movie where if you snap, you know, that the flash happens or the camera happens on the phone and they snap out of it for a minute and that's your chance to maybe save them. You know, it's, it's a, it's a whole thing. Right. So anyway, that's it for me this week. Uh, sorry for being late. Once again, I appreciate y'all sticking around for this one. It was a long one. Um, I was saying I could have talked for another two hours about this movie. Like it's 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 incredible. But um, again, Vinyl Podcast Five on Twitter, um, the Vinyl Countdown Podcast on Facebook, the Vinyl Countdown Podcast on Instagram. Uh, follow me on there, or come and discuss things, discuss the movie, discuss the show. You know, doing just everything, right? Just come at me with all your takes. You know, if if you want to. If not, oh well. So uh, next week, quick preview. Um, I say next week. Thursday, but yeah, next week because it's Saturday right now. Um, I'll be diving into Jacob's Ladder, which is mind fuck of a movie there, and then closing out with a absolute horror classic at the end of the month. So I'm super excited for those as well. So anyway, for the Vital Countdown podcast, I'm Jeremy Levine, and I hope to be in your ears next week, everybody. Thank you, and yeah, take care. Uh-huh.